Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. way to get involved. If you're here this morning and you are just wanting to get involved with the church or you, maybe you've attended for a while and you'd like to develop a little bit more relationships, we have a class and this will be one of our life groups called Rooted, Connect with God, the Church, and Your Purpose. And this series is kind of our uh, 101 course. It's our new members, new believer course, but at the same time, even for those people who have been believers for a while, it just is a refresher of the foundational truths. But the course is much more than just a, a book or a study. It's actually an experience. And so as you go through this course with the group, you just build incredibly meaningful relationships and the group kind of coalesces. And so groups who go through this together end up becoming really good friends. So if you're looking to find out more about the church, just have a refresher in your faith or as an opportunity to get to know people here. Like I said, if today's your first Sunday or you come here regularly, we really want to encourage you to sign up for this course. And you can do that, uh, as Elisa said, on the insert of your program, there's a communication card. So you can just write on that communication card that you want to be part of the Rooted class, or there are uh, sign-up sheets in, in the lobby. So we encourage you to, to do those two things. So um, I'm just going to pray before um, I share the words that God gave me for this Sunday morning. So, so God, I, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for the joy and the life and the freedom that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that... Uh, that these words that you've spoken to my heart would uh, be life-giving and soul-changing to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a, personally quite claustrophobic, and so the idea of being stuck in an underwater cave, essentially an underwater grave, for 17 days scares the living daylights out of me. The idea of being in darkness, cut off from humanity, with no access, with no light, with no communication for 17 days, not knowing whether you will survive or not, is like my worst nightmare. Many of you may remember the story from 2018 when a young group of boys in Thailand who were all part of a soccer team went caving with their coach. There were 13 of them in total. And they went into these caves, and the further they went, the higher the water levels rose, but they didn't realize the water levels were rising. And when they kind of reached the end of their track, their end of their caving, and they turned around to leave, that's when they found out that, unbeknownst to them, the water levels had rose so high that they had no way out. Uh, you recently made a movie of it called 13 Lies, which I would highly recommend you watching. Of all of the emotions that those boys felt, whether it was the fear of the darkness, not having really much food other than maybe what they brought from them for an afternoon hike, 
not knowing whether they would live, not knowing if people on the outside knew that they were there, I have to imagine that one of the greatest fears and challenges that they had was being disconnected from people and longing to reconnect with people. The boys were stuck in that underwater grave for a total of 17 days. The first nine of those days, they had no human contact. They were stuck in that cave, not knowing if people on the outside knew where they were or if anything was happening. It was around the ninth day that they realized that a rescue mission had started, and it took eight days to extract all 13 boys from that cave. They had been essentially been buried alive. One of my favorite books is called Start with Why by Simon Sinek. The subtitle is How Great Leaders Aspire, Inspire Everyone to Take Action. And so this rescue mission required over 5,000 people to be involved. It was international. It, uh, it cost $9 million to rescue these boys. They pumped out literally billions of gallons of water to try to keep the water levels from rising. And ultimately, the rescue mission cost two people their lives, two divers their lives. One diver died during the rescue mission, and the second diver died within a year because of blood poisoning. And so you have to ask your question, what was the why behind the rescue mission? Why would people spend that much money? Why would people go through that much effort? Why would they risk their lives to save these boys? And the answer to that, the, the why behind the rescue mission, is that everyone involved wanted those 12 boys to experience freedom once again. They wanted those boys to experience the freedom of playing soccer one more time. They wanted those boys to experience the freedom of being hugged by their mothers and fathers one last time. They wanted them to experience the freedom of going back to school and seeing all their friends, experience the freedom of their first kiss, the freedom of growing into young men, the freedom of seeing the world around them. They wanted them to experience that freedom, and that was the why behind the rescue mission. Our theme this year for Easter at Brownsburg Vineyard Church is experience freedom. And that's our theme and that's our focus through our worship and today's message. And in order to, uh, for us to understand the significance of Jesus' life, His ministry, His message, in order for us to, to even understand the significance of His miracles, and most importantly, to the, the significance of the empty grave and the resurrection, we have to ask the same question of Jesus that we ask of the people who were dedicated to the rescue mission. Why? What was Jesus' why for rescuing us? What was the why behind Jesus leaving the safety of heaven, leaving the comforts of heaven, leaving the glory of heaven to come here? What was Jesus' why? And the answer to that was that Jesus wanted you and I to experience freedom. Jesus recognized the bondage that we were in. He recognized the captivity that we were in. He recognized all of the things that we were unable to do because of sin, and He wanted to free us so that we could live and experience freedom. And so what I want to talk to you about today is how Easter, the empty grave, 
And the resurrection allows us to experience freedom in our everyday lives. The Easter story, much like the Christmas story, never gets old. It seems like like just as we turn the corner and get into the Christmas season or turn the corner and get into the Easter season, it's like, oh yes, I want to hear that story again. So today I'm going to read the Luke's account of the empty grave. And, and I want you to particularly pay attention to the very last line in this scripture that I'm reading this morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, and here's the line, Why do you look for the living or the free amongst the dead or imprisoned? He's not here. He is risen. See, a graveyard is essentially a prison. People are no longer free once they're put in a casket or put in a tomb and buried underground. Death and bondage is kind of like the same thing. And in the same way, resurrection and freedom are the same way. And what the angel was saying is, why are you looking? Why are you going to a prison to find a free man? Why are you going to a prison to find somebody who has been vindicated, who has, uh, who has overcome the charges against him? You're in the wrong place. He's no longer in the grave. And what we have to understand this morning about that grave is that it represented more than just an inescapable prison for Jesus, or so everyone thought. The grave represented an inescapable prison for you and I. And in that way, you and I belonged in the grave much more than Jesus did. Jesus never belonged in a grave. Jesus had never done anything in His life to deserve to be in a grave. Jesus had never done anything in His life to have any charge brought against Him. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no fault in Him. He was 100% pure. He was 100% righteous. He was 100% sinless. So of anybody who never should have been in a grave or never should have been in a prison, it was Jesus. And so in order to understand the grave, we have to understand that it was our place that He was taken. And so when the angel said, Jesus is not here, He was risen, what the angel was really saying is, you're no longer here. You've been risen. You've been set free. Now, if you know anything about angels in the Bible, angels just didn't come to do like menial tasks. It's not like God couldn't find anyone else, so He decided to send an angel. Angels had very a very particular purpose throughout the Bible. And so the two angels this morning, on this morning, they weren't just handing out information. They just weren't like customer service at the customer service desk, you know, just providing directions to people. The angels weren't there just to give information. The angels were there to make a proclamation. And that was the role of angels throughout the Scripture. When the angels of the Lord appeared to the shepherds on Christmas Eve, Behold, tonight in Bethlehem, 
the Son of God is born. It was a proclamation and so on. Easter morning when, when the angels made this statement that, that, that He's no longer here. He's, he's gone. It wasn't just information. It was a proclamation. They were making a statement. And by a proclamation, I mean a statement that has power. A statement that, that, that has, has impact on reality. When they made this proclamation, it became true the minute they spoke it. They were there to deliver a message from God. It would be interesting if back in Jesus' day they had like closed circuit TVs and there was like a ring doorbell on the grave. Can you imagine that? A little ring doorbell. And we could actually see inside the grave. Can you imagine that first moment when the broken, beaten, and breathless body of Jesus was lying there? And it was as quiet as all quiet could be. And then there came that moment where he breathed his first breath. And that moment when his eyes opened up and life returned to him. See, when the angel said, why are you looking for him here? He's no longer here. What he was saying is when Jesus took that first breath, you took your first breath of freedom. And when Jesus opened up his eyes and life returned to him, life returned to you. And when Jesus walked out of that grave, you walked out of the grave with him. What the angels were saying when they made that proclamation is you no longer need to be in the grave. No part of your life, no part of your present, no part of your past, no part of your future, nothing you've ever done and nothing you ever are ever needs to be in that grave again. What the angels were saying is this grave is done. It's never needing to be used again. It's over. You walked out of that grave. And no part of you ever needs to be in that grave Again, you can experience freedom today. Now, before we go any further, I want to kind of give us time to fully embrace that truth because I think sometimes we hear words and and they go in our ears and, and they might bounce around in our head a little bit. But just because we hear words doesn't mean they fully penetrate our hearts. It doesn't mean that they fully get to that place within us that changes something. And this morning I want these words to actually change us. And for some of you, when you hear the word freedom and when you think of experiencing freedom, there may be some tension or there may be some conflict. Because there's probably some people here this morning for whom using the word freedom would be the last adjective that you would use to describe your life. Maybe there's some areas in your life right now that don't look at all like freedom. We're starting a new series next week called How to Handle Pain. How to Handle Your Pain. And so, for some people, you're here today and there are parts of your life that are just filled with pain. And there's no way, in no way, shape, or form are you experiencing freedom in those areas of your life. Pain is dominating your life. For others, you might be here today and you have fears and insecurities and a a, a constant sense of foreboding of of some evil thing or, or some undesirable thing happening. When is the next shoe going to fall? And some people live in this constant fear of something bad happening to them. 
and they are imprisoned by those fears. For some people, it may be something as practical as death. Maybe you don't have financial freedom because of the bills that you owe, and you go, man, I wish I could say I had freedom in my finances. And for others, maybe the shame and the regret of the things that have happened in your past continue to echo in your presence. And every time you close your eyes or every time you have a moment of silence, your mind goes back to those moments that you most regret. And you wish on everything you have that somehow those thoughts and those memories and that shame can be gone. But even if all of those things are a reality in your life and my life, it doesn't make the message of the resurrection, it doesn't make the message of freedom any less meaningful. All that it means is that the message of freedom is needed today more than any other time. It means that you are here today because God wants you to hear the message that you can have freedom in those areas of your life. And in whatever area of your life today you are not experiencing freedom, here is God's message to you. You can experience freedom in that area of your life. Now let me just step out of the message for a second and do a quick 60-second commercial for the church. (laughs) The heart, the lifeblood, the breath, of this church is for people to experience, uh, encounter God and experience transformation. Everything that we do as a church is about leading people and carrying people and, and uh, allowing people to have this experience where they encounter God, they encounter the power of God, the redemption of God, the restoration of God. They have such a real, meaningful, personal encounter with God that they walk away changed. And one of the transformations or one of the changes that we target, that we intentionally purpose, is that of freedom. That this would be a place where people walk through those doors in bondage. People walk through those doors with addictions. People walk through those doors with areas of their life that define them and dominate them. But when they walk back out, they walk out free. That is our heart and that is our passion. And today, if you are here just on Easter and you don't come regularly or you don't know a lot about this church, I need you to know that. I need you to know that this is a place of grace and this is a place of freedom. And this is a place where we are committed to rolling the stone away and setting the captives free. That's the commercial for the church. Here's the meaning of this message in one short sentence, and that is that Jesus escaped the grave so that we could experience freedom. That's all you need to remember from today. Jesus escaped the grave so that we could experience freedom. That was the big why for Jesus. He wanted us to experience the freedom, so he was willing to go to the grave. I often say in my messages that, that one of the beauties of the Word of God is that when you, when, you, when you discuss like main topics today, freedom, one of the most interesting things to do is kind of to see the topic, freedom, as a thread that runs its way and weaves its way from one page to another, from one story to another. 
And so you could preach a whole message, probably a whole series on this topic of freedom. And you could start in the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation, and you could kind of uh, follow this thread and see where the thread leads you through all of these stories. The, 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 the thread or the topic of freedom goes from cover to cover. But let's just pick up this idea of freedom in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. In the inauguration of Jesus' ministry, he lived for 30 years, kind of incognito, nobody really knowing who he was other than his mother and a handful of people. And then when he was 30, he kicked off his public ministry. And the way he kicked off his public ministry is he walked into the temple and he pulled out these scrolls that would sit on shelves. He pulled out the scroll from the book of Isaiah and he opened up that scroll and he read a prophecy that was written 500 years before he was born. It was written about him. And that prophecy said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He has anointed me to preach good news. To proclaim freedom to the prisoners. And to set the captive free. And so right from Jump Street, right from the beginning of His ministry, here's what Jesus said, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to bring freedom. And we see the beginning of that thread at the very beginning of His ministry. And then when you take a look at His ministry, what did Jesus do? He went around setting people free, bringing freedom to those who were demonized and possessed and held in bondage by, by demonic spirits. And He went around setting people free from, from blindness and sickness and, and deafness and, and all types of maladies and illness. He set them free from the limitations of those things. He set people free like the woman caught in adultery from shame. He set people free from, from religious judgment and, and, and from being abused by the religious leaders. Everything that He did in His ministry was defined by freedom. And the culmination of this life and this dedication to freedom was the resurrection from the dead. And so when the angel said he's no longer here, what the angel was saying is freedom has been accomplished. Everything that he set out to do has been accomplished. And so today, in the time that we have left, I just want to share with you kind of two ways that each and every one of us can experience freedom in our lives. Two very practical ways that we can walk out of here and embrace freedom. And the first one is this. You, you and I can experience the freedom to draw near to God. Draw near to God. As I said earlier, of all of the emotions that those 13 boys on the Thai soccer team felt, you have to imagine the desire to be near their family had to have been one of the greatest. Can you imagine at 13 years old being stuck in that dark grave and longing to see your mom again? Longing to see your dad again. See, as human beings, we have this intrinsic desire to be close to the people we love most, right? Today, after the service, many of you will gather with family and friends and you'll celebrate Easter. And it's something that we do in times of celebration. We love to be with the people that we love the most. And the only time that we love to be with the people we love the most besides Christmas and Easter and birthdays and celebrations is when we are going through the deepest and darkest moments of our life. When we are suffering and struggling and being beaten and broken. It's in those moments that we desperately want the people that we love to be near us. It's when we know we're about to breathe our last. We just long and desire to have the people that we love most 
nearest to us. And we're all familiar with that desire. And it's easy for us to see that as a very relational thing and a very emotional thing. But it's much more than just a relational thing and an emotional thing. It's a very spiritual thing. There is a very big spiritual component to your desire to be around the people that you love. See, we weren't just created in the image of God. You and I were created to be in relationship with God. By created order, we were created to be in relationship with God. And so that, that thing within us that was meant to be in relationship with God, that creates this spiritual longing. So we all have this like perpetual longing to be near God. And so much of what we see in the world around us are, are, are people who have this internal longing, this internal desire to be near God, but they have no idea where to find God. They've been told that God is dead or that God's not the answer. And so they are filling their life and they are filling with this longing with everything else but God. But no matter what they pursue or no matter what they try to fill that longing with, it always comes up empty. And there is a soul cry maybe at this time more than any other time before there is this soul cry within our culture to be reconnected with God, but people just don't know who He is or where to find Him. Which is our role as a church. To bring people into relationship with God. It's funny, people spend tens of thousands of dollars to go to seminary and to, to graduate with a degree in theology. And so what I'm going to do for you, just because you guys came to church, I'm going to give you a deal today. For a small donation of 1999. I am going to give you a seminary degree in 30 seconds or less. I'm going to take you through Old Testament survey and New Testament survey in 30 seconds. All right? So here is Old Testament survey. You got your note, paper, and pens handy? Here it is. The entire Old Testament summed up is this. The whole Old Testament is simply about God longing to be near His people and God's people longing on and off again to be near Him. And in the Old Old Testament, what you see is you see this tension between frustration and expectation. There is a frustration because there is something that is keeping that relationship from happening. And that something was sin. But in the midst of that frustration, there was also an expectation. An expectation that something was going to happen. Someone was going to come. Something was going to happen that would remove this separation and allow everyone to be able to come into relationship with God. And that is the whole Old Testament. Read all 39 books of the Old Testament. And they all are about this longing of God to be near His people and the frustration of living without being able to, to satisfy that longing. That's Old Testament survey. Here's New Testament survey. Jesus Christ came to remove that separation. Jesus Christ came to remove sin so that we could draw near to God. And that is the entire story of the Bible. That frustration and that sense of expectation. Paul says this, But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So that nearness has some very real implications on our life. Having the freedom to draw near to God really makes an impact on our life. Here are 
a couple thoughts about being able to draw near to God, which is something that people in the Old Testament weren't able to do. To draw near to God isn't a freedom that we earned, so it's not a freedom that we can lose. If you're like me, you have good days and you have bad days. You have days that you are really close to the very best version of yourself. You hit every shot you take. You make all of your putts. You, you, you love the people you need to love. You, you just say, that, that's about the best version of myself right there. It doesn't get much better than that. And then you have the next day. And on that next day, you may be the very worst version of yourself. You're ill-tempered. You're hangry. Nothing goes right. Everything is frustrating you. You're snippy with people you shouldn't be snippy with. You blame things on people you shouldn't blame them on. You're not the best version of yourself. The freedom to draw near to God has nothing to do with whether you're having a good day or a bad day. The freedom to draw near to God has nothing to do with whether you were here last Sunday and the Sunday before that and you're a regular attender of this church or whether today is the first time you've been in church since Christmas Eve. No matter where you are today, no matter where you'll be tomorrow, no matter how often you attend church, the truth of the matter is that the freedom to draw near to God stands. And that when you walk through those doors, the Father is waiting with His arms open. He says, welcome home. Maybe the most beautiful picture of the nearness of God that we see in Scripture is when the prodigal son wells still far away, the Father saw him. And the father ran out to him. A son who did everything that should have excluded him and disqualified him from being near the father, was embraced by the father. And when the son said, no, no, I don't deserve any of this. I don't earn your love. I can't be near you. Just make me a slave. The son, the father said, I will have none of that. You draw near to me. You come near to me. So when scripture tells us, that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. What it was saying is that no matter what type of day, week, or month you have, no matter what is in your path, you can draw near to God today. And when you and I walked out of that grave, we walked directly into the arms of the Father. And I want you to know each and every day you wake up, the Father is standing there waiting to embrace you another thought about the uh, freedom to draw near to God is the beauty of the freedom to draw near to God is that we never need to do anything in our own strength again. The Bible tells us draw, God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. And essentially what He's saying is, hey, when do you want me to show up? Where do you want me to show up? What do you need? I'm, I'm, I'm just here for you. Just call my name and I'm there for you. You don't ever have to do anything solo again. You don't have to impress me. You don't have to earn anything. You don't have to do anything on your own. I'm always there. I'm always there to help you with everything that you're struggling with. I'm always near if you need me. Are you struggling with loving your neighbor? It's okay. You don't have to love your neighbor in your own strength. Draw near to me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to so overflow you with love that out of the overflow of the love that I show you, you're going to be able to love your neighbor. If you have a neighbor or a work, uh, person you work with or somebody you have a, a hard time loving, you don't have to do that. You don't have to summon all of the strength within you. You don't have to like pull your bootstraps off and get it done. No. 
God can allow you to do the thing that you can't do on your own. If you're having a tough time forgiving your enemy, forgiving the person that hurt you most, it's not as if God leaves you on your own and says, well, you better figure this out. Well, God says, it's here, draw near to me. Let me teach you what forgiveness is. Let me demonstrate what forgiveness feels like. And then just model after me. Just follow the steps. Some of us may be facing challenges and obstacles. We might be facing a Goliath in our life, a financial situation, a relational situation, a physical situation. We're, we're facing something that we look at and we go, there is no way I can overcome this thing. Well, God says, you don't have to. You don't have to do that on your own. I'll do that with you. And if at any point in overcoming this mountain, and at any point in our journey over this mountain, I need to throw you over my shoulder and carry you, I will. You need to hear today that in those areas of your life that are exhausting you, that are stressing you, the Word of the Lord is you don't have to do this on your own. Every once in a while, God teaches me a lesson. And midway through this week, as I was preparing this message, I got to this point, and God kind of taught me a lesson. God kind of preached this message to me. And so, Easter Sunday is like Super Bowl Sunday for preachers around the world. This is our big Sunday. This is a big game, right? You want to you make sure the lily, lilies are looking good, and you know everybody's wearing their T-shirt, and hopefully they iron them before showing up, and you know all of the slides get up, put up right, and you, you want to hope your message, you know, goes well. And so that's a lot of pressure, right? Because it depends on me that all these things happen. And so I was feeling a, a kind of that anxiousness and that stress as I thought about Sunday and I was preparing this message. And I'm like, oh, God, I want this to be one of my best messages. And, and, and I was lying awake at night and I was feeling that stress. And all of a sudden, God said, hey, Dennis, do you mind if I preach a sermon to you? Do you mind if I remind you what you've said? That you don't have to do this on your own. And I realized in the midst of a message about how near God is to us and about how we don't have to do things on your own. I was allowing stress and insecurities to cause me to stand independent of God. I love what Psalm 46 says. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help, an ever-near help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not Please hear this message today. That God is near you. Every day He wants to be near you. And when Jesus walked out of that grave, He walked into the arms of the Father. And every day you wake up, you have an opportunity to walk into the arms of the Father. Here's the second thing about experiencing freedom, and I'll close with, with this thought. that We can experience the freedom to be made new by God made new by God. So, you might not have ever thought of this, but there are kind of two approaches or two ways in which people try to establish their standing before God. So, even people who, who aren't churchgoers, people who might be atheists, people who might have a diminished view of God, most people um, in this world have some sense um, of, of, of thinking ahead, 
and saying that someday I'm going to stand before God. And, and so they want to do something so that when that moment comes, or maybe even if that moment comes, they will be found in good standing with God. And there's, there's kind of two different approaches to how people handle that through their life. And the first approach is what I call the mathematic morality approach. And here's what happens in the mathematical morality approach is that our standing before God is based on doing more good things and bad things in our life. So with this approach, what you do is you carry a moral calculator around with you, because you've got to do a lot of adding and subtracting, and every time you help a little old lady across the street with her groceries, you get a point. And every time you honk your horn at somebody, and maybe show them a finger, you lose a point. Right? And you go through life with this calculator, giving yourself a point and minusing points, giving yourself a point and minusing points, and every once in a while you give yourself extra points, you know, because you do something extra good. And the whole idea behind this mathematical morality approach is that on that day when you stand before God, you hope to at least be plus one. That's it. Right? I hope to be plus one. I hope to be not negative but positive, right? And, and the more you can kind of put in the bank, the better. Now, you might think, oh, what a silly way to live your life, but this actually can be in our subconscious without us even realizing it. So if you have ever found yourself comparing your morality to another person, if you've ever found yourself justifying what you did by saying, well, it's not as bad as what that guy did, can you imagine how many points that guy lost, right? Everybody needs a good sinner in their life to balance out their own actions. There's somebody in our life that we can look to and go, I'm not as bad as that guy, right? And so we do that. And, and so we, we might not acknowledge this is how we live our life, but if you find yourself comparing yourself and saying, I'm better than that person, or I'm not as bad as that person, this is actually your approach to God. If you find yourself judging other people, and thinking that other people's sins are worth more demerits than yours, this is actually your approach. If you find yourself feeling better about yourself because you did something good and think that that has impressed God, it's actually the approach that you're using. And the problem with this approach is that in our human pride, we think we can attribute value to our actions. We think that we know what a good action is worth and what a negative action costs us. You remember when the widow was putting a few pennies in the offering and there was a rich guy just dumping bags of money. And Jesus looks and said, that woman has given more. See, from our perspective, from this mathematical approach, we would have given the rich man extra points and barely given the poor woman a point. But Jesus inverted it. He's able to attribute value to our actions. We're not. And so that's not a great way to approach God. There's a second way to approach God, which I call the new creation approach. And that approach is that our standing before God is, is based on what Jesus did and not what we did. Our standing before God actually has nothing to do with what we did. And it's not that what we did doesn't matter, and it's not that we have a license to go out and do whatever we want to do. It just means that our standing before God is based on Jesus' death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave, and that those actions made us new. That those actions took away every sin we have committed, every sin we are presently committing right now, and every sin that we will commit. The message of Easter is this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
old things have passed. Behold, all things are becoming new. And so this newness that the resurrection provided us not only takes care of everything in our past, not only does it say no matter where you've been or what you've done in your past, that God has thrown your sins as far as the east is to the west. He remembers them no more. He washes you white as snow. There is no longer any record. Your record has been expunged. Not only does it, does it do that in regards to your past, what it sets in motion is it sets in motion kind of this perpetual promise of newness. That every day you can experience this newness. Every day kind of the slate starts clean. Listen to what Lamentation says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And here it is. His mercies are new every morning. They never come to an end. And so what the grave did is it not only took care of your past, but it took care of the future. So that every day you wake up and say, God, I want to thank you that Jesus Christ rose from the grave so I'm not starting today at a deficit. I'm not starting today carrying over a debt from my actions yesterday. That today there's a newness in life. Today you're, you're looking at me as a perfectly righteous a son or daughter of Christ. That today I have an opportunity to honor you and to love you. I'm going to encourage the worship team to come forward. And here's how I want to end this service. I, uh, I want to give a challenge to kind of two, two groups of people. The first is this. If you are here today and you've never come to that point in your life where you experience the nearness and the newness of Jesus Christ, if you've never in your life taken that opportunity to say, Jesus, I want you as Lord of my life, then today is the day for you to draw near to God. Today is the day of salvation. And I'll be praying a, a prayer here in a minute that will give you an opportunity to pray, God, I want to walk out of the grave in my life. I want to always be near You. I want to always have Your mercies that are new every morning. If you're here, and maybe five months ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, you were near God, but like the prodigal son, you have wandered from God. Today you can be near God. In two weeks, we're going to have water baptisms. And what water baptisms represent is it represents our old self, our old nature being buried in, in Christ, in the water. And when we come up out of the water, we are born new. And if you are here today and you want to be baptized, if you want to make that commitment to Christ, then make sure you mark that on your communication card. I want to be baptized. And in two weeks, we'll have baptism. second challenge I want to give is for those of you who may feel near to God, who may on a regular basis experience that newness. I want to challenge you today to really embrace the truth of today's message. To examine your heart and say, is there any place in my heart where there is stress? Where there is unrest? Where there's fear? Is there anything in me that is stirring? Is there, is there anything in me that's trying to do things on my own? Where in my life am, am I trying to make things happen? Where in my life am I sensing stress? And in those areas of your life, embrace the Father. Invite the Father to come in to those areas of your life like I had to this week while I prepared this message and say, God, 
sorry that I was trying to do this on my own. I'm, I'm sorry that I got out ahead of you. I'm sorry that I thought I needed to do this on your own. Would you come and visit me in this place? Would you come and give me strength and allow me, like Jesus, who was asleep on the boat in the midst of the storm, allow me to have perfect peace in the midst of the storm. The grave makes an impact on our lives. And I pray today that you would embrace this message of freedom. If you want to close your eyes with me, I'm just going to, to pray this prayer over us, and then the worship team will lead us in the songs. So for those who are here today and have never asked you, Jesus, into their heart, or like the prodigal son, have wandered, Jesus, we confess you as our Lord. We ask you to come into our lives. We ask you to forgive us of our sins to embrace us and to receive us. We accept you, Jesus, as our Lord and Savior. We want to commit to doing life differently instead of doing life in our own strength, instead of trying to earn our approval about you. We just want to be your son and to live in your unconditional love. So we accept you and receive you, Jesus, for maybe the first time for the first time in a long time. For others in this room who have known your nearness and your newness, but we have allowed our own pride or our own anxieties or fear to, to consume us in areas of our life, God, we ask you to step into every area of our life that is causing us stress and fear. We just pray that we would lean not on our own understanding, that we would lean not on our own strength. For some trust in chariots and some in horses, but today we would choose to remember the name of the Lord and to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. The band has this crazy good song to close this service with. Let's sing this song together and I'll come back up and close us.